I had the pleasure of interviewing Amanda Thebe, author of Menopocalypse for episode 14. I know you're going to love this candid and lay it all out there conversation with Amanda. Amanda is a personal trainer with over 20 years of experience in the fitness industry. She's a popular guest on podcasts and online summits and her health and fitness tips have been featured in media outlets like Shape, Prevention, Healthline and Global News. Amanda lives in Houston, Texas. Try saying menopocalypse 10 times. I dare you. And welcoming Amanda Thebe to episode 14 of Sexy Aging. So good to have you here, Amanda. I love the name of your podcast. Sexy Aging, <laughs> yeah, the I paradox, right? Yeah, I think it, it definitely grabs people. I've had a lot of people say that. I just feel like, you know, we get thrown into our faces the whole anti-aging thing. And I'm just like, fuck that. <laughs> I know. Oh. I'm aging and I feel oh. good. And I'm, I'm going to keep this sexy thing going. And I'm going to reach out to all these other women who I feel, you know, feel me. <laughs> I, well, first of all, yes. Secondly, you said fuck. So I'm now feeling really calm because I usually let a little Sorry. one out and I always get yeah. myself all frustrated. Um, but yeah, like it's the we've got this vision, don't we, Tracy, of like the idea that you're you're getting older, you're in midlife and you're through menopause. So you couldn't possibly be sexy. Yeah. Um, you, you couldn't possibly still be having sex. You couldn't possibly <laughs> still be wearing like shorts and bikinis. It's there's all of these stereotypes that have been forced upon us. Yeah. But, and the but, belief system, right? Like we believe, and I, I, I am going to admit there have been times that I feel like, Oh no, I don't think I can get away with that crop top. I don't think, a woman of my age should wear that. So I have had those insecure moments. And then just, I think when I did hit 50 and I'm like thick in the, in the very forest of menopause, I just went, no, I'm good. I am who I am. This is me. I rock that crop top or I don't rock it today, but I do tomorrow. You know, like you just yeah. get better with understanding how you feel, how you're going to put yourself out there in the world. So I just want to introduce you because we've already started our conversation. <laughs> I'm terrible. I do this all the time. Oh, I love Sorry. it. I love it. It shows, it shows that we have this awesome connection. Um, you've also been a personal trainer of 20 plus years. You are a fitness and women's health expert and you have written publications or articles for Shape prevention healthline global news you are based in houston texas and you are the author of menopocalypse yeah, I, <laughs> I love it. that love title love it <laughs> it makes a lot of sense doesn't it you know when i yeah. went to write the book i wanted to call it that but then i pulled the title back because i was like it sounds so miserable and terrible but then people were like but you're the whole point of it is it was and then it doesn't need to be that's so I do like the title I also like that lots of people can't say which I think is bizarre okay so I practiced it I went down the stairs and I, I was going <laughs> menopocalypse menopocalypse actually it's a really good tongue twister so and yeah so I got it right yay yay to me um, and I didn't forget it because that could have happened because that's menopausal as well so you're literally winning you're winning on every I'm winning. level so that's 100%. Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Amanda, um, obviously we're both menopausal, going through menopause. I'm assuming you still are because we're probably of the same vintage. Yes, we're like a fine wine. I'm I've just turned 50 as well in October. Yeah. I'm awesome. post-menopausal. I went through menopause age 48. Um wow. 
Okay. So yes, I'm post-menopause now. So I think I'm a different stage to you. So perimenopause, I think this is the time and it really is an interesting time for women because they mostly don't see it coming. They either assume that it's going to happen around 50. Like we're talking perimenopause when things really go to shit, right? Um, where, where crazy stuff happens and you think you're losing your mind and all these kind of things start happening to your body and we're going to call it perimenopause so for you as a fitness person from one fitness person to another can you share your first experiences with some of the symptoms and like what were the top ones for you how did you deal with them um, I'm just all ears so I mean you and I have both been around for a long time and it's actually like 30 years I've been doing this right so I've been doing it since my 20s and so um, you know I've and probably like you, I started in the aerobics field and then maybe went to step and then spin. I've done it all. Um, and then my, did my personal training certification in the UK. I did move to the States 20 years ago, but um, so I did most of my certifications in the UK and then moving over stateside, I did all the subspecialties that a lot of fitness professionals do. Things like um, rehabilitation, senior fitness, um, pelvic floor rehabilitation, pre post and um, pregnancy all of the ones that like are really helpful for all of the clients that we see um, and I never once ever heard anybody talk about menopause Tracy not once and so it actually wasn't and wasn't one of those conversations I um ever had with friends um, and I never had in my sort of like education so when I turned 40 um, I was so 10 years ago, I remember thinking, I'm feeling pretty smug. Like, you know, I'm fit, I'm healthy, I have a decent career built. Um, people look up to me, they see the realness in me, they associate themselves with me and think that things are possible. You know, that's the type of coach I am, probably like you. I'm not one of those ones that's like, look how awesome I am. It's look what, look how things can be if you just make a few small changes and I can help you I've always been one of those type of coaches 42 years old I was doing a boxing class and I literally was whacking this bag like crazy I was probably angry with my husband or something so I was having this massive um energetic class and I went home and I just felt like shit and I thought oh, I've just pushed too hard you know that you know that time when you just push a little bit too hard and you and you think, oh, have I hurt myself? Or maybe I just needed to have pulled back a bit. Anyway, long story short, I didn't feel well. I went home and I went to bed. And then I started like puking and stuff. And then I tried to walk and I fell over. The room started spinning and I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe I had a virus. So then it sort of passed in a day or two and then it happened again and then it happened again but it kept happening with no real indication and with no real um well yeah with no indicator like it wasn't always following exercise or it wasn't always last thing at night it wasn't always first thing at morning I couldn't determine when I was going to have these vertigo episodes it then started happening that I was losing feeling in my face all the right side of my face and even down to my hand and I remember going up to my husband going have I had a stroke look at my face is it drooping have I got palsy like what's going on it was awful so I eventually went to the doctors and um, he was amazing he was like 
yeah, I can see you're not well. I can help you. And I'm going to help you by referring you to a neurologist. He then referred me to an ear, nose, throat doctor. He then referred me to a vestibular rehabilitation. Essentially, I had really good healthcare in Canada where I was, but not one person was like, look, she's 42 years old. She's presenting with these symptoms. Might she be in perimenopause? So two years later, after having all of this attention and testing done, I went to a gynecology exam, which I was supposed to have annually, but I missed a bit. You know how we're terrible at looking on, keeping on top of those appointments. It was probably been two years since I'd been. And I went for ovarian cysts. I'm a cysty person. I've got cysts in my boobs, cysts in my ovaries. They're everywhere, right? And so I had an ultrasound. I went to see the gynecologist and he said, everything's fine. I'll see you in a year. And I started crying and he said, oh my God, what's wrong? And then I went through that whole story with him and he just said, oh, these are classic perimenopause symptoms. Um, I can help you. I see this every day, like 10 times a day. It's not, the, you're not the first person to ever go through this. He essentially validated everything that I was experiencing. He said, it looks to me that you've got migraines with aura. We know that they're a symptom of perimenopause, which is why you're losing feeling in your face and balance and vision issues. And you're also struggling with depression. And I didn't know that. I just thought I just had a shit personality. I just thought I'd gone from being someone who was really fun to being this miserable cow that didn't like people anymore. I just thought that was the new I've actually, I've actually got quite a few <laughs> listeners that are going to fall in love with you. <laughs> the miserable cow comment is just like, it's, oh. it's quite a Kiwi Aussie thing <laughs> And say, British so. as well, but and I, British I, thing, yeah. I yeah. really like thought this was me, right? This was the new me. But it, I might also say, Tracy, that that was the very first time. I mean, bearing in mind this is eight years ago, the very first time somebody had said the word perimenopause to me, and I was like, "What the fuck does that mean?" Like, like I've never even heard of this word. And yeah. also, also, I was like, "F you." I haven't because he was like, "Have you had any hot flashes?" And I was like, "I'm 40." fucking two years old I'm not this old dinosaur because in my head I had all of these stereotypical um, images of the old woman past it all of the things that are so terribly harmful to the conversation was exactly what I thought yeah I mean I, I just can relate to what you're saying I think it's just the like the paradox of the symptoms versus how we see ourselves and that is where things get really messy for women trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And, and also the age thing. I think people think they really believe that they're not going to experience any, anything until they're past 45. So oh, they even, think got, even in their 50s, I think I yeah. might say. Yeah. 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 They, they believe that it's, you know, maybe by the age, they're, by the time they're 50. That's why I'm so excited having these conversations because it really does help women realize, you know, when we get to 40, did you have that like freaking banging 40th birthday? Did you oh, do that? I, I actually went to a pub and got kicked out of the pub for swinging off one of the 
the light See? fittings. You yeah. did. <laughs> I did. The yeah. Spice Girls came on and I was like, yeah. car, and I jumped on the on the counter with my brother and we were yeah. hammered and he was like, get that woman out of here. And I was like, I'll pay for it. I can afford this. Fuck you. You know, it yeah, was I'm like- 40 and I know who I am. And you know, everything yeah. has been a build up to this moment, right? When people tell you life begins at 40. And so you totally subscribe to that. But what happens is you think that that's going to carry on. And then nobody tells you about the perimenopause. And so you're just in this like fake world of thinking, I'm 40, I'm working it, I look awesome. And, and then, you know, the, the, the hormones really kick in. So that's why I'm really excited is that we talk to, you know, someone who actually has experienced perimenopause before 45. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, you know, in addition to that as well, I think women do this terrible thing of we don't know what's going on. And if you come from a background like we do, where we invest so much time and energy, literally our whole career is in looking after our body, our health and trying to be as informed as possible. And then it, it does this to you. It's like one, first, it's like all these like science, like um, stages of grief. First of all, you're like pissed off with your body. You're like, why is it doing this when I'm actually doing everything I need to do? Two, you then go through a shame and guilt phase where you're like, this is all my fault. And I felt like I was constantly apologizing for being less of a person and for not, and for not truly, um, nailing menopause like why wasn't I sailing through because people were saying to me that you know exercise and nutrition can make menopause easier and the studies have shown and I'm like it's just not true for me and then when I opened the door to that conversation there were so many people saying it's not true for me either right the genetics play such a big role in this yeah no I agree with you I think um one of the episodes I was speaking with Dr. Wendy Sweet and she talks about the three body types, you know, ectomorph, endomorph, mesomorph, and we're all so different and we all deal with menopause and perimenopause significantly different. And I also broke down like 35 apparent symptoms of menopause with my husband. And I was actually really shocked when I did that, that I, out of 35, I had like 26 symptoms mm-hmm. and I I'm just wait endomorph. just wait you'll get the other eight soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks thanks friend <laughs> <laughs> and and let's just let's be honest is the 34 35 is the 50 is the 60 because yeah you know the symptom of migraine with aura for me presented itself with four different four different symptoms I lost vision I had vertigo. I couldn't walk in a straight line, literally kept falling over. I lost feeling in my face and my one side of my body to me. Like, and so when you talk to any of the medical professionals, they're like, you know, these are the standardized symptoms that we know. We know there's more. When a woman presents to me and her tongue is burning, we know that that's a symptom of menopause. When, when her, she's got tinnitus in her ears, we know that that's an estrogen deficiency. So yeah. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you sharing your symptoms because I actually wouldn't have thought that either. I would have, you know, been, if I was a doctor, if I would be so lucky to be a doctor, um, I would have thought that you had a brain problem (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't menopause. (laughs) You know, my my cousin at the time in Canada um, worked in the hospital and she was so sick of me not being well. She took me to ER and they did a brain scan. They they looked for a a brain tumour. And that's then, amazing. So I, so I was shitting my pants for, you yeah. know, through the whole two years. I was awful. And I just like 
things like podcasts like this, conversations like I have in my book, like the work that we do literally is helping another person. And, and, and every time I share this story, I'm just like, oh God, here she goes again, like whinging about a menopause memoir or whatever. And, but I just keep thinking the reason I have to do this is if I reach one person that hasn't heard me whinge on and talk about this, then I'm helping another person, the same as you are every time you get somebody on. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Amanda. And your book is going to serve so many people. So here's a little plug and a shout out for Amanda's book, Menapocalypse. Looks like that. Oh my God, look at you. <laughs> I want everyone to feel like I look there. And that's sort of my whole philosophy. And I know it does too. Like yeah. nothing feels as good. Um, nothing, how is I was going to say that? I'm going to say it wrong. Nothing feels as strong as good luck. The strong, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Oh, it's cool. Hey, Amanda, I just, um, well, from one fitness person to another, um, one of my my biggest issues right now is, and I've spoken of it in a couple of other episodes, is the lack of information on fitness training for women who are going through menopause. I mean, I'm going through menopause. I'm really fit. I can do heaps of different things. I can still run. I can do a HIIT workout. But I know intrinsically, and my gut tells me, not to do so much of that high intensity exercise because it spikes my cortisol and it makes it really hard to sleep. And sleep is my biggest foundation uh, yeah, for, yeah, managing, yeah. for managing my symptoms. So I've cut back on the hit and I'm doing a couple of other things and it's feeling really good and I'm not putting on weight and I'm feeling pretty strong. So all those things, and that's kind of intuitive, but that's me understanding my body and understanding fitness for everyone else or for women that are that love to work out that do prioritize fitness as something really important in their life when they're going through menopause it's shit there's nothing out there that says okay well here's the workout program that you need to take into consideration or here are the things that you should prioritize now can you give us your authoritative perspective because you are a fitness professional and this is one of your um you know, your passions is, is training menopausal women. Yeah, and I sort of dug into the research and there are people talking about it out there. Dr. Stacey Sims, who's over there in New Zealand as well. I actually met her for a coffee in Papamoa because she just lives there. Like she's doing the most research on this. Um, I do see that she has um, a bit more of um, a leaning towards endurance athletes because a lot of the people that follow her are triathletes endurance athletes but she does cater to general population too but for me when it comes to general population it's like what's the basics just tell us what we need to know like we the information is very hard to find and so you know digging into the work that Tracy's done plus a whole bunch of others and then just looking at what happens to us as we age it becomes really clear and it was intuitive to you, but it clearly isn't intuitive to people that don't have the, edu the education or the experience. So we know a couple of things. We know that sarcopenia is the biggest sort of like threat to our, our muscles as we age. And that tends to be because of being sedentary more than anything else and because of age. So from the age of 30, you know, we can see rapid muscle loss through sarcopenia and that's accelerated somewhat through menopause and so what we know we need to do is preserve any lean muscle that we have and continue to build and work on it and the only stimulus that's going to do that is strength training so your HIIT training is not going to do it your running your cardio is not going to do it it has to be enough of a stimulus to create 
muscle protein synthesis, which is the ability to convert proteins down to their amino acids into building muscle. But muscle protein synthesis is also impacted through perimenopause. We don't process protein as well as we shouldn't. So we need to focus and prioritize getting enough protein in dur during the day. Excuse me, my chair just shifted then. Protein during the day. And so um, we know that um, the easiest form of protein for the, a female body to um, utilizes the leucine part of protein. And we find that in like whey, whey products, dairy, things like that. It's in some meats as well. So I just say to women, if you can strength train and then look to eat enough protein during the day, that should be your number one thing. Strength training has some ripple effects to the menopausing body. The first thing is it can help alleviate vasomotor symptoms. So your vasomotor symptoms are hot flashes, cold flashes, night sweats, flushes, flashes. It depends where you live. You get hot and it sucks. Um, by 70%, up to 70%. And that can be done proactively in perimenopause or as a postmenopausal athlete. You don't have to think you're too old. You can start at any time. It's also um, really imperative that women maintain and build lean muscle to help with health conditions that ultimately are the ones that are we are at risk for cardiovascular disease our insulin response we know we need good insulin sensitivity because that changes through menopause our cortisol response as you already have said we can manage that through lifestyle changes and one of those things is strength training um, in addition to that our bone health Postmenopause is one of the real big issues for women. One in two women breaking a bone postmenopause. 40,000 women a year in the US dying as a result of breaking their hip postmenopause. And strength training is one of the few things that creates enough of a stimulus to create bone growth. And osteoporosis and osteopenia can be reversed with strength training. So I could go on and on forever because I mean, there's the anxiety, depression side, it's got so many benefits. And these are the type of benefits that you can't get from things like HIIT training, right? The HIIT training by nature and even endurance stuff by nature is catabolic. It breaks the body down. And so our recovery needs to be really focused if we're going to continue to do those things. We need to make sure that we spend time resting, recuperating, sleeping, all the stuff that you, you know, harp on about. It's like super important more than ever, nourishing ourselves. Whereas when we do strength training, it's more anabolic in nature. It builds, it doesn't break down. And so it, it's just benefits the body better during this phase. And especially through perimenopause, when estrogen is linked to our energy sort of like response and so we're knackered all the time we're chronically fatigued we can't sleep it off and so strength training is one of the accessible exercises that women can do so instead of like jumping about for 45 minutes doing burpees and tabata and stuff do some strength training and do it fast and hard you'll get your cardio without all of the negative impacts right and you'll get all of the benefits there too thank you so much amanda that's <clears throat> that's really solidified it for me too it's like a yeah, kind of an intrinsic gut instinct thing that I feel that I'm heading in that direction. And I hope that um, all the listeners can appreciate what you've said, because it is quite hard to switch off from that cardio high that you get. And I've it's always so been a cardio good. person. Yeah, you know? we, all, we all have, right? It's, yeah. I get that. 
you know, like it's hard to go, I'm going to get off my bike and do some strength training now, but I am doing it. Like I've decreased the amount of cardio and I've increased the strength training or I add it on. I do like an extra 20 minutes, you know, of weights or at the moment, because I'm traveling, it's a booty band, but it's better than nothing. So yeah, just focusing more on the strength. And I wouldn't give up on the cardio because yeah. Here's the thing. If you're a runner, you need to run. If you're a cyclist, you need to cycle. If you're a swimmer, well, swimming tends to be so low impact anyway that the recovery tends to be, but it still can be like exhausting to re- recover from if you're doing lots of drills. A lot but of it, yeah. If you're doing lots of HIIT training, like if you enjoy all of those things, it would be remiss of me to say don't do them because we, as fitness professionals, we want women to move and we want them to do stuff that makes them happy. So I just say that like really pay attention to your body. Like if you wear wake up and you're feeling like two or three out of 10 that day Mm. going for a 10k run is probably the stupidest idea you've had that since you woke up like don't maybe do some mobility work maybe go for a walk like listen to the body and try and tune into how you feel from an energy level if you wake up feeling nine out of 10 I want to know what you're on because I want some but if you're (laughs) feeling like that seize the day I'm all about seizing the day. Do a hard hit class. Do your 10K run because your body probably feels equipped to do it. Like there's definitely like a, what what does your gut tell you? But if you are running and it's killing you and it's making you miserable and you're like, well, fuck it, I'm not going to run anymore. Well, I would say, well, why don't you just change your strategy? Why don't you go for those strategy, strategies that we know can help your run you're running stay like great like why don't you do like fart like why don't you do sprints and intervals things that get you in that quick anaerobic threshold but you recover from them really quickly right that's the whole point of them and I also might say that when you get through to menopause and then you're postmenopausal, so you're in this estrogen deficiency and you've got basically no progesterone too the body comes to this type of equilibrium it's different it feels different like you're in a different place to what you were before menopause but the 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 craziness dies down and I couldn't run through perimenopause and I'm back running three four times a week now with no and I can recover well you know I still prioritize strength training because I know that that's what my menopausal body needs but I still can do all of this stuff that like makes me escape the house and the kids and the husband, all of those like ones that I want to get sweaty and hot. I like that. Right. Too. Um, yeah. And, and, and it so makes I you think, feel good. It makes you happy. Yeah. 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 But as long as you're not like doing it, cause you feel you're getting that short high and then you're smashed for the rest of the day or the rest of the what's week. What's the point? Yeah. What's, what's the, the point? point? Yeah. There's more to life than that. So yeah. Um, I'm going to just ask you one more question okay. for our podcast and yeah. it is on HRT. And I know that you've written a little bit on hormone yes. replacement therapy and mo- menopocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> nearly. I nearly stumbled on that. Well, well recovered. I'm impressed. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, we. I, I am going to be um, speaking with someone who does know a lot about HRT in, the, in a future podcast. But since you've already spoken of it in your book, what's your take on it? What's your view? Right. So I have a view, but I, it's not just an opinion. I believe it's an informed view. And I think that that's what matters, right? So anecdotally, when I went to that doctor and he said, you're in perimenopause, he said to me, the first line treatment that I can offer you is hormone replacement therapy. And I went, what, you're trying to give me breast cancer? That was exactly what I said to him. And he went, well, it doesn't quite work like that. And I went, I don't want it. 
we're not having this conversation and I killed it dead and he put me on an antidepressant um, and the antidepressant had um, off-label benefits for hot flashes and things like that right so that's what I chose to do and it helped me with my migraines and depression so at the time it was a good choice for me but then I just was like well why would he offer me something that I believe is dangerous so that sent me down the rabbit hole and I was like I need to know what the story is because I remember saying to my mom when she went through it she's only 18 years older than me and I remember her going through it and I said I was like you were not taken home once mom no way and so I made her go through it without them right but here's here's what we know in 2002 there was a big study done by the WHI the Women's Health Initiative um, and it was testing like hormone therapy estrogen therapy that was taken with an oral pill to um look at the impacts it would have on cardiovascular disease. And that was sort of like part of this massive initiative. And I think it's still running. And essentially they halted it abruptly because one of the researchers or some of the researchers came out and said, HRT, well, it was estrogen therapy. Estrogen causes breast cancer and it increases the risk of heart failure, heart disease. And New York, New York Times did this big headline and like, women freaked out, doctors stopped prescribing it. And basically the sales of estrogen therapy just stopped. And all of these women went cold turkey and they were like, we were fine on it. And now we're fucking having a horrible time, right? So then fast forward a few like days, it's like 22 years now, that fear still stays with women because we remember the headlines or we remember that our auntie said she couldn't have it, right? What's happened since then? There's been some brilliant books. One of them is called Estrogen Matters, and I think everybody should read it. It's by Dr. Avram Blooming and Dr. Carol Tavris. Dr. Blooming is a breast cancer oncologist, and he has spent his whole life researching hormone therapy. And the long and short of it is hormone therapy does not cause cancer. Estrogen is not a carcinogen, right? And so a lot of the researchers in the study, the WHI study, have since come out and said the study was rushed. It was flawed by the type of people we had in it, the type of testing we did. And they've withdrawn that statement. And hormone therapy is now practiced as first-line treatment for women in menopause. This is the position statement of every single menopause society around the world, including the Australasian Menopause Society. I haven't checked the New Zealand ones, so I apologize about that. But um, the International Menopause Society, the British Menopause Society, Northern American, all of them. First-line treatment is hormone therapy. And it's so sophisticated these days too. Hormone therapy essentially is estrogen therapy because menopause is known as estrogen deficiency even though other sex hormones fall it's the estrogen that's the most impactful because it's mainly produced in the ovaries but we have receptors all over the body like everywhere and so when you take estrogen therapy you can help with your brain fog and your depression your anxiety your joint pain your gut issues your heart palpitations everything right because that's so that's the therapy of choice it can be delivered Bioidentical, now that terminology freaks people out a bit. Bioidentical is a marketing term, but essentially it means that it's hormones that mimic those in your body. And the ones that you need to look for are regulated. When it's regulated, it means it's gone through all of the major medical governing bodies for efficacy, safety, and bioavailability. And so 
you can get it from your doctor where you should be able to get it from your doctor your gynecologist endo I don't know who you would see it depends where you are in the world and you can get it on prescription for usually for a few dollars it's not expensive it's the best form that's issued these days is transdermal and that means it's delivered through your largest organ the skin by gel patch or spray if you have a you and what estrogen does is it's, it helps growth right it helps repair growth rebuild and because it helps grow it actually grows the lining of the uterus and because of that you have to take a progesterone pill and it has to be oral pill or the manira coil you have to take that to progest to protect your uterus against uterine cancer so you have to, and if you're, if you're going to see a naturopath or an alternative therapist and they give you progesterone as a cream, it's not enough and it's dangerous. It's malpractice. Avoid those. I don't care if you like natural therapies, do them. I don't care. But when it comes to your hormones, go to a doctor and get the regulated type. Um, and what they do know, just to finish, is that women who are on hormone therapy will live longer than those who are not on hormone therapy because of the protective element of estrogen in, th in the therapy against the things that actually will kill us, Alzheimer's, you know, dementia, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, stroke, um, diabetes too, all of those things can be protected with hormone therapy. So that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely brilliant, Amanda, but not just an opinion. It's like a very well-sought science-based um, observation and you obviously have fantastic contacts and you and you're going through it yourself so are yes. you on HRT or have you been well, on yeah so I am restarting it again now and the problem is is some women so although hormone therapy is the first line treatment that should be offered not everybody is a candidate there'll always be people that can't take it there's some women that are sensitive to it. They don't do well on it. I was one of those. It drove me crazy, but I'm on it again now. And it's only been two months and I feel great. So I think it depends on where you are in your menopausal transition. And that's also what the medical community is saying is that you may go on hormone therapy and then two or three months later, you might have to change your dose. And don't be surprised if you have to constantly change your dose to suit your symptoms because your symptoms change as you go through. Um, and I actually wrote that chapter with two of the leading menopause doctors in the world. One is Dr. Louise Newsom, who is um, the British sort of like menopause expert. She is like, I would send anyone around the world to her website because of the free information that she provides. And the other person I used is a Harvard educated North American specialist called Dr. Heather Hirsch, who has a really fantastic YouTube channel where she like breaks down all of this really confusing information. And she talks about the idea that compounding pharmacists are issuing creams and lotions and potions and mixed with sawdust and pellets as well. Pellet therapy is a massive unregulated treatment of hormones over here. And it's a money-making dangerous, potentially dangerous way of taking hormones. And so I just would ask women to do their homework. You wanna do what's safest and best for you with the collaboration of a medical provider. Yeah, thank you so much. That's absolutely brilliant in your perspective and experience. Because um, right now I'm not on any HRT, but after our conversation, I'm like, okay, I'm going to look into that more. I don't know at what point 
if or when I will be needing to take it, but at least I'm more open-minded now because I really yes. didn't know anybody that was taking it. And, um, and you know, your credibility as a fitness person for me is really important. So thank you for sharing that. And you know what Absolutely I would just, just say about that as well, Tracy, is like, I'm like not pro HRT. I'm just pro no. in, informed choice. I just want women to know so that they can say, yeah, I still don't think I'll yeah. do it. I'm like, fine, I don't care. And I actually don't care if you decide to go down like the compounded, unregulated. I literally will not lose any sleep over this, but I just need you to know that this is what all the medical um, com um, community are saying about this. And I think that, you know, there's many women that will go through um, perimenopause, which is typically the most symptomatic side and go through to menopause and go, actually it was fine. I didn't need it. Yeah. But then they start having symptoms in menopause, like vaginal atrophy, which most women will get, um, or they start being concerned about their health markers and it can be used as a preventative medication as well. Or they may choose to use nothing and then be completely healthy. Like it doesn't matter as long as you know that, that, that it's an option. Yeah. You know, what's yeah. really interesting, you were saying about how sometimes, you know, you'll take um, HRT and then a few months later, you might have to try a different dose and stuff. Sounds a lot like puberty, right? Huh? you would yeah I know ironic. It is. I mean, <laughs> it's ironic and but you know yeah. at least with puberty when you're in school you get the heads up and you and get, you the, get heads the help you get, you get the, the help and the heads up. you get the conversation you yeah. get you get everything you need and and it's and everything's fully loaded for you to dial up or dial, dial down as necessary um but that's what makes this conversation so important now is because we're just a little bit you know in the dark with exactly what we can do to help us survive and thrive your words yeah. through perimenopause and menopause and I think the conversation is changing there was a, a big um, piece in the New York Times and I really liked it but I also got a little bit pissed off and it was basically saying how many women were going to be in menopause and I was really happy that they're talking about it but they but the medical community are talking about it but people don't listen to doctors they don't often have like the platform or they're not they're not like reach into the people at the top and saying change the narrative for us please and so it's people like us at the grassroots who are doing podcasts writing books and are reaching out to women to say you know sort of if they're not going to do it then we will and we'll pave the way for the next generation coming so that they literally don't get blindsided like we do yeah and they did did a really <laughs> the perspective on why I'm doing the podcast is because I actually because I'm youth a youthful person a lot of my friends are 40 you know, like a lot. And they probably, they were a bit blindsided that I'm actually doing a podcast on this topic because they were like, no way are you that person. You're, you're perimenopausal. Like I could see the, the lights they, going off like, what? <laughs> Not you. They, like, because they don't think it's them when you're 40 yeah. years old and you've had no symptoms it may not feel tangible at all it might not even feel like an, a reality it didn't for me I talk about that in the book about saying to my clients I'll oh, just get on with it the ones who were yeah. like literally like saying I can't but I can't <laughs> and um but I look back I know mine started when I was 38 I was on the younger side but women do go through this in their late 30s early 40s like it happens Oh, thank you so much, Amanda. Really appreciate, um, you know, everything you shared with us today. It's given me, so, I've taken a lot of notes and I'm going to do some more research, find out more on the fitness side, on the hormonal side, um, HRT, and, you know, let us just keep putting really, really good 
conversations out there to help our sisters <laughs> look at you doing it for New Zealand as well I love it mm. I think it's great and I think that women get the most help from these type of conversations rather than you know talking to their doctor I think they yeah. they get they gain more from this type of conversation so thank you for doing this Tracy yeah it's great great to have you here Amanda thank you thank you so much I hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed hosting it. I love that there are so many generous women willing to share their story and expertise to help and inspire all of us going through the mire of menopause. If you enjoyed this episode, please check the show notes to follow my guest. All their details are there. And if you want to stay connected for further episodes, please like, subscribe, review, and of course share with your friends. It's through your support and feedback that I can continue to produce episodes. Aroha nui.